Welcome to the Sailorville Church podcast, and I am uh, greeted by a good friend of mine, and uh, one of my main reasons for having Chuck DeClean uh, with us is not only because uh, you were on staff here at Sailorville Church for 19 years, but you're a lot older than me, and that's nice to have somebody older than <laughs> not, me. Not Normally, quite, uh, first of all, I wasn't on staff for 19 years. I went here for 19 years. It was the latter end. And yes, I am just a little bit older. A little than bit you older are. than me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I have another reason for having you here, Chuck. And uh, just to tease out our audience a little bit, uh, we're talking about the subject of eschatology. What does eschatology mean? Well, it's really the the teaching on future things, which is very, very important because all of us are interested in the future. We want to know, and the Bible talks a lot about the future events. How well we can define those becomes another subject altogether. Yeah, but and whether or not they're practical, whether right. they help us in the here and now. Right. Uh, now, you and I, um, we generally speaking, we I think we agree on eschatology, generally speaking, but there are some finer points that you and I probably have some differences on, don't you think? Yeah, I think, I think there are some differences. Certainly, we were raised in the same school of thought, and I, I just want to say I am very thankful for how I was raised and trained and the dispensational view of making a difference between Israel and the church was key to me. And that still is there. I don't see necessarily everything together what I've been taught, but the basic and the major things are still all in place to me. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. It made me think of a, a passage of scripture um, where we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, don't give any offense to the Jew, to the Greek, or to the Church of God, so yeah. you've got some you've got some demarcations there, right? Uh, and uh, so uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week as well, okay? Uh, and get into more of those details. But eschatology is sort of the study of future things. Um, I preached a message on Sunday uh, here at Sailorville Church uh, from a classic passage where we get the uh, the term the rapture, the right. rapture of the church. We we noted in that message that the, the word rapture isn't actually found in the Bible, but the concept is. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, we're going to be caught up together. And if you weren't with us, it's that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where Paul says that, I don't want you to be uninformed about, uh, about those, uses a euphemism, that had fallen asleep. Their, their brethren who had died, the, this young church was concerned about whether or not they would be able to participate in this great event which right. was to come. right. And Paul says, uh, this we say to you and by, on the authority of the word of God, that uh, those who are alive and remain will not, uh, you know, will not go before those who are asleep. And then, right. he, then he describes it. He says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Yes. And we'll always be with the Lord, and this is the basis of our comfort. Right, it really is. So that uh, that really introduces this whole concept of eschatology. Now, Chuck, uh, you have been a theologian for a great part of your life, a pastor for most of your Christian life. Uh, you've taught at a theological institution, Faith Baptist Bible College right. and Seminary, not far from here. Uh, what classes did you teach there? I, I taught the book of Matthew, which actually feeds into this whole thing, um, and maybe we can talk it at some point, but my view on Israel, the church, but that was one of the courses that I taught. 
Um, I also taught on personal evangelism, and I enjoyed teaching that. Um, taught some mission courses, and then taught on the letters of Paul as well. So those are some of the subjects that I taught. And uh, you, uh, both of us, you just you alluded to this earlier on. Both of us were um, disciple taught. Uh, in the school of, you used the term dispensationalism. Can you, can you even tell us, that's a term that is, it's kind of a squishy term. What does it that is. mean to a lot of people? Actually, it's just talking about that there's numbers of ages in the Old Testament going, coming to the New where God worked in a little bit different way with people. Do you I save mean, people differently? No, uh, through faith, it's clear from the book of Genesis that, that Abraham was justified by faith. So the, the salvation story is, is always the same. But in the Old Testament, you had animal sacrifices. Well, I don't see animal sacrifices in the church today. And so there's a difference between how people lived and yeah. God's progressive program changes and those changes are called dispensations and I don't know if you want to number them the way some people do I'm not that big on that but there are differences there yeah. clearly are differences uh, because dispensationalists have been accused by those in the uh, the covenant uh, uh, community uh, as having two kinds of salvations yes uh, I'd never known a dispensational that had two two kinds of salvation, and you just alluded to it because uh, in Genesis fifteen six, Abraham yeah. believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteous. So that his faith is what saved him. Exactly. Uh, and then when Paul argued for that in his magnum opus on salvation, the book of Romans, right. he asked that very same question in Romans chapter four when he's talking about Abraham: Was he saved by circumcision, by the law, or by faith? And then he says, it's Abraham, or rather it's uh, Romans 4, verse 3, he says, what does the scripture say? And he goes back to, exactly he to that ties story. that passage in the first book of the Bible to Romans to say that salvation has always been by faith. Yeah, I think one of the bigger things, and I talked to you, Pat, a number of times, is when I had a strong, strong dispensational teaching it almost removed the Old Testament from me. It extalled, you know, ex ex put the church on such a high plateau that it took away the meaning of the Old Testament to me. Mm. And the more I read through the Bible time and time and time again as I studied Matthew, I think I began to realize that God's program did start in the Old Testament with the great saints of old, including Abraham, and that God was going to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham, that name carries all the way through into the New Testament. And we're even called children of Abraham. And my thoughts are is that that program has a continuity in it and the church is a part of that program. To me, it's a subset. It's not the exaltation of the program. It's part of that program where God specifically and mainly works with Gentiles, bringing them in to this progressive program that started in the Old Testament. And so the way I look at that now, the many of the literal promises that you find in the book of Isaiah, where the covenant theologians spiritualize those, mm. I don't. That is all going to take place. But how it impacts me is... I really believe that we as the church are going to be a part of that literal kingdom that sees those literal blessings 
we're a part of that. We're not the exaltation, the special part. And that's, that's where I think I change my thought just a little bit because to me in, the, in Ephesians where it talks about those that were afar off and those that were near, he's brought us into a commonwealth of, of Israel in a sense. We're participating in those covenants. Mm. And so in that, it excites me actually because I read the whole Old Testament and New Testament with new excitement Whereas numbers of years ago, when I studied the dispensational so strongly, I thought, why study the Old Testament? Yeah. We're not involved in that. And that's almost the way I was taught. Now I look at it, yes, we are. Mm. We are a part of that. And I look forward to that so much. So I like to bring it all together. So Paul uses this, this analogy of a tree Yep. In Romans chapter 11, and, and that uh, the Gentiles have been grafted into this tree. Yes. Uh, and uh, now you also alluded to Abraham. I want to read that for our people. Sure. Yeah. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 12, where the Lord said to Abraham in verse 1 Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right. right. So this be the so so basically this is what we are is famously referred to as the beginning stages of the Abrahamic covenant, which is confirmed in chapter fifteen when God puts Abraham to sleep and goes through right. all those right. those uh, right. th those sacrifices. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, Paul brings it in all the time. Like you said, Romans chapter four, he talks about Abraham. Then he goes to Galatians three, talks about Abraham again in Galatians and talks about how we're the seed of Abraham. So we are related in all of this. It all comes together, which makes the second coming exciting, not just for the church, but for all of Israel through all times. Everybody is so focused on the second coming, and we can't wait till it comes. It's going to be the greatest event we will ever see. Yeah. We'll ever see. Well, see, I already said that in my message. I, yeah, I know. So, I listen. Uh, I listen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so let, let's just talk very briefly about that. This is our introductory podcast, and we'll get into some of those, some of those uh, interesting um, uh, differences between yeah. covenant uh, theologians and dispensational uh, uh, or progressive dispensationalism. Yeah. That's a new term that's not so new now, but it's no, been around it's for several years. And there's something to that. I know you're going to talk to that, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Let's just, I just want to just conclude our time uh, this afternoon talking about the value of eschatology again things that are future how, how's that how does that help me now well to me which i'm writing a book on on learning to be a fisher of men and i think that's coming out next week i should get a copy of that looking forward to it but um verses that you preached on um in first thessalonians chapter two where where paul says for what is our hope or joy of crown or rejoicing it, are not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And as I study with people, I imagine, hey, these people, when Jesus comes back, they're going to be there. I, in fact, I just had a study 
well, two weeks ago, and a couple trusted the Lord, and I thought, they could be my neighbors. They're mm. going to be there. I get excited about that. I'm going to study with a couple tonight. And, and the same type of excitement is there. We're bringing people with us. And probably passages that you remember, you know, they that go forth in tears, you know, are going to come forth rejoicing. They're going to bear precious seed and their sheaves are going to come with them. I was just reading in that in Psalms in the other day. And, and, and that's exciting. And then in the, the fourth study that I do, it, one of the things in Jude, it says that, um, that Jesus does two things for us. He, he stops us from falling, but he's going to present us faultless before the throne. Mm. And then I'll ask a couple if they've been, how is he going to present us faultless while we gain the righteousness of Christ through faith? But the other part that I love to emphasize, he will present us to the Father with great joy. Mm. And I can't wait to see the joy on my Lord's face. I just said, Father, here they are. Mm. He's going to have great joy. And if he has great joy, I think I'm going to have great joy. And all of those that have, so it excites me as far as, you know, evangelism or sharing or trying to build up believers so that those believers can reproduce because it's coming pretty soon yeah. and we got to get ready and we need to envision that time when we're going to be before the Lord. Uh, so you would like, agree. Yeah. So you'd agree based on uh, the joy of presenting somebody to the Lord, which is what uh, First Thessalonians is talking about, uh, as a motivation for evangelism. So it has a practical aspect to it. Very much. And it would also be practical, wouldn't you agree, to a person who would be watching who's not a Christian. Oh, yeah. If you're not a Christian, the knowledge that God has promised that he's returning in the person of his son. And uh, 2 Thessalonians says uh, when he comes back, uh, there's going to be some serious judgment going on. Yeah. So yeah. Um, for me personally, the, the study of the future, having read a book before I was a Christian on eschatology, that excited me, that concerned me, that convicted me. Yeah. Uh, it was in that process because that book kept telling me that I, I, I wasn't going to participate in the second coming unless I had a relationship with this God. And the only way to have a relationship with this God is to have a relationship with his son who came Amen. to the earth, who died for me, who rose again for me. And uh, so I can remember, Chuck, I can remember sitting at my, my heller lathe that I ran uh, the, this huge machine at John Deere. I can remember sticking a part in there, sitting back, thinking about what I've just read, waiting three minutes between switching out parts, and I remember sitting there thinking, God, well, you know, I, I know I need to be saved, but if I don't get saved and Jesus comes back, I, 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 I can assure you I'll be your greatest evangelist. I, <laughs> I, I actually had this kind of dialogue with God before I became a Christian, yeah. and how I'll, I'll thankful I am for the mercy of God. But very practically, uh, my wife and I and another couple have been working with uh, a couple that did not know the Lord. I'm using did past tense because as of before Sunday, they did not know the Lord. We'd gone through two studies. I told you about this a few days ago. After the end of the first study, it asked the question, do you count yourself as one of the ungodly? And they admitted that they were. And it was mm -hmm. you could tell they had to swallow hard to believe this. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and then they sat in their home and watched virtually as I preached this passage on Sunday. And they became so convicted and so concerned about being left behind if Jesus came back. And they just both cried out to God. They FaceTimed us later. They said they recognized their sin. They asked Christ to be their Savior. I couldn't even go through all the salvation time with it. <laughs> We're still going to do that. Sure. But the point is that the eschatology was a motivation for them to be saved. Yeah. yeah. And they were saved. Praise the Lord for Praise that. Praise the Lord. Praise uh, the Lord. What else? Do, what else even does more, I mean, you're having a tough time and you need encouragement. Just the thought. The Jesus, John 14, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come. And boy, that's so encouraging when you're going through a tough time. And then even to live a holy life, you ought to consider these things and how you're living right now. Live every day like this could be the time that I need to present myself before God. Yeah. So it's motivation to live the Christian life. It really is. To be excited about it. To be excited about it. It really is. And I do think this would be a good way to wrap up our session here this afternoon, Chuck, because you alluded to it in John 14. And this is where we may have a bone to pick with sure. each other, okay? Because Jesus did say, he says, uh, uh, if you believe in me, you know, believe in me, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Yep. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm going there. That's a place in heaven to prepare a place for you. And right. if I go, uh, I will come again to yep. receive you to myself. That where I am, now I'm assuming that's, uh, he's talking about that place where he's making the dwelling places. Where I am, there you may also be. Now, we're not going to dig into it now. I know. But let me just mention one thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Chuck, here's the deal. <laughs> I don't, here's the deal. Our audience is going to, they're going to come back and join us next week. And when they do, they'll let you respond to that. Because sure. some of us believe that Jesus is going to come back and take us home to that place where he has made many dwelling places. Sure. Others believe that Jesus is going to come back and receive us and t and go come back to earth and uh, set up his kingdom right there. And then we're going to talk more about that next okay. week. Yeah. And maybe some of the reasons we differ on that. Uh, and we can differ, can't we? Yeah, we can. We're okay We really can't. Yeah, we are. Because uh, it's not going to change these motivations to nope. live for Jesus. No, it's not. And evangelize for him. And because he is coming back. We believe that. And yep. you should too. Amen. Hopefully uh, this will uh, cause you to ask some questions. And thanks for joining us this week for the Sayerville podcast on eschatology and the return of Jesus Christ. Hope to see you next week.